United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky, and I really, really like today's show. We start off with a countdown to convention featuring the current CEO for United Soccer Coaches, Lynn Berlin-Manuel. She is heading up the Club Leaders Professional Development Certificate with an almost 100% focus on youth soccer. So many layers, so fascinating. 11 different tracks as part of this session that also tie into some other sessions as well. Lynn Berlin-Manuel breaks down all of them with big-time names. I'm telling you, big-time names you'll love. Our Countdown to Convention, which is a two-segment series. Then we move to the Hall of Fame as the United Soccer Coaches announced back on October 14th three of its newest members, and one of them is Michael Pantaleone, the legendary junior college coach at Yavapai College. He's going in the Hall of Fame, and he's just written a book called Observations, Reflections, and History of the Yavapai College Men's Soccer Program. Yavapai means winning soccer. Great visit with Michael Pantaleone, who's headed into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame, and we're starting the process of interviewing all 30 of our newest 30 under 30 class. Maya Hayes a couple weeks ago, now we visit with Alex Ng, who's the assistant coach for the Richmond women's soccer team at the college level. That's our show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Time now for the Countdown to Convention, a weekly interview on the United Soccer Coaches podcast that features the United Soccer Coaches Convention, which will take place January 19th through 23rd in Kansas City. Every week during this time, our host, Dean Linky, will take a deep dive with someone or a group of people that will be featured at this year's convention. Remember to register early for the convention by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Now, here's Dean with this week's Countdown to Convention. This week, we're kicking off the show with the Countdown to Convention because we have Lynn Berlin Manuel, the CEO for six years plus for the United Soccer Coaches. Of course, it was recently announced that she will step down in January and Jeff Van Dusen will replace her, but she's not done working as she's working hand in hand with Jeff Van Dusen on a great track, what we'll call. It's the Club Leaders Professional Development Certificate. There are 11 different sessions and more if you count the way it's set up. We're going to get to that in a moment. But first, Lynn, I wanted to welcome you, by the way. Welcome, Lynn Berlin-Manuel. Thank you, Dean. Yeah, and I just wanted to talk about you knowing that you're in your final months here as the CEO. You did so many great things. Kind of just emotionally, how are you feeling about these uh, final stages? Well, it, you know, it's definitely bittersweet. This was, you know, my call. It's a good call. It's what I, and I don't regret the decision in any way. But at the same time, I have loved being CEO. It, it may be the greatest job in soccer. So I, I, I envy Jeff in some ways. Jeff Andrews and our new CEO, who will be starting fresh on January one. 
But at the same time, it's the right time for me and my family to make this change. And, and I think a really good time for the association. I leave it in a really strong position financially and in terms of size and in terms of a lot of the projects we have going on. But like a lot of folks, I came through 15 very tough months of the pandemic that you know we were in lockdown like everybody else, March 20th, 2020. We walked out of our offices and I didn't see them again until June of 2021. It was a very strange feeling, but at the same time, you know, it was a gift in the sense that it gave me personally a lot of time to reflect. I have worked all my life. I have had wonderful jobs. I have been in the game all my professional career and I'm not leaving it, but I knew that I wanted to be able to continue to take advantage of having more time. I, it's a cliche, but having more time with my family, which they often, my husband was often the, the guy who lost out by my great jobs because I just wasn't around. And um, as I thought about the future, this was just a good time. It was a good time. And I, um, you know, under great circumstances, Missy Price, Dr. Missy Price is our president. I knew she would be superb at leading the search for a new CEO because selfishly, I wanna see a great CEO succeed me. I, I think that's really important for the association and frankly, important to me. We've gotten to do some very cool things in the last six years. We rebranded this association to, I think, some really extraordinary success. We've gotten to do some really interesting things, not so sexy perhaps, but implemented an entirely new digital business system for the organization that those things under the hood, you don't necessarily see, but they make such a difference. And so in essence, I get to hand off what I believe is a very, very powerful platform to a new CEO. And, I, and I'm just excited to see how Jeff will run with it. And he will. He's going to be fantastic. And I'm so excited he has this new role. Well, and to be fair, he's going to be fantastic, and he will say this as well because of all of the infrastructure work you did laying the groundwork for him to push it forward, Lynn, and that'll never be lost on people like me and people close to the association. I'm not saying that as a sycophant. I'm just saying that as a matter of fact, and I think it's fascinating and a testament to what I just said that Jeff Van Dusen, he wasn't named the CEO yet, but he's always run the convention came to you to say, Lynn, I got all these tracks. I want you to lead the one for the club leaders professional development certificate. And Lynn, we all know without youth soccer, we don't have any soccer. I mean, that is the most thriving part of the game. And this is going to be important. The club leaders professional development certificate. So first, before we get into the 11 sessions, and I want you to take your time on it, Sure. This is important, Lynn. Uh, talk about when he came to you about the importance of leading this, particularly as it relates to youth, how important it was to you. Well, you're not telling the story exactly correctly, Dean. So I never want to correct you, but I actually went to Jeff and asked him if he'd let me. Um, okay. I've wanted to do this. We've dabbled in, in club, club, club programming at the convention. We always look at the convention. We always look at this entire association through the lens of a coach. Club management doesn't seem to be the lens of a coach, but you know I have come to truly believe if there is something we can do to really serve our coaches, it's to make their clubs run better. To your point, I believe absolutely that youth soccer clubs are the defining business unit of our sport. 
That sounds rather unsexy because there's a lot of other really, it's building players, it's creating wonderful experiences for kids, parents, and coaches. It's doing all those great things, but it drives soccer in America. It just does. So I, I was really excited to be able to get to do this. And I knew that December 31 was my last day as CEO. Jeff takes over January 1. Our board has been pretty strict about that of who's in charge and when. So for this, I wanted Jeff's permission. And he was kind enough to let me do it. Let's put it that way. I came cheap and I was willing. So I'm there. I'll tell you, I've never been more happy to be corrected because I think that says even more about you knowing that you had announced that you were stepping down a long, long time before that, Lynn. So that is awesome. So uh, thanks for that correction. I'm going to leave that in there. A lot of times when people <laughs> correct me, I take it out because, you know, I okay. can't make mistakes. I'm going to keep that in there, Lynn. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into these sessions. You've got the floor. Please don't leave sure. anything out. What we've done is we've designed 11 dedicated sessions that are strictly for this track. We will tag out of the overall program and schedule uh, a few other sessions that we just think are a good fit and will also be credited. The way this works from a credentialing point of view, because it is a certification program and it will require that a successful certification comes from having taking eight of these selections. And that gives a foundation. And literally what I'm hopeful of is that this will be the beginning of a long-term program for the association of club development. We want clubs to run better and be more successful. I really took it kind of from the beginning. This is not super basic in the sense that we haven't told somebody how to run their budget. Those are important things and those are available elsewhere and they may be available in the future. But we literally launched, we looked at what was going on sort of post-COVID. This has been one of the toughest periods ever for clubs in America, ever. I mean, for everybody, of course, but youth clubs literally shut down for months. Many of them lost at least a full revenue cycle. That's a big hit to come back from. It's left our industry of clubs a kind of in a different place than they've ever been before. And when I refer to it as an industry, you know, I don't want to take away the human factor in any fashion. And I know people are often very sensitive about the notion of soccer as a business. And I, I get that. I really do. But for kids and parents and coaches to have a great experience at a club, the club also has to run well. And it has to be able to pay its bills and it has to be able to have the coaching education and the other support services that really make a good youth club. So with that in mind, our sessions will open with one of the sessions that I'm probably most excited about, and it's called Navigating Challenges of Club Mergers, Acquisitions, and Alliances. And it's actually become a huge I don't want to call it an issue, but an important experience for many clubs is at least considering alliances they may create with other clubs. And all of us have heard great experiences. We've heard terrible experiences. It may be that exploring the opportunity is something you jump into or something you don't. But we've actually brought together two really good presenters for this. Louise Waxler is one of them. She's the executive director of McLean Youth Soccer in Virginia. It's a club of about 3,000. They've actually created one or two unique alliances just in this last year. And from that, they actually developed a, oh, a template, for lack of a better term. 
And she's partnering with Mike Curry. And I know you know him very well, Dean, but Mike was a, a financial services executive for over 20 years. He's a businessman. However, he also happens to be a very long-term soccer coach and a very long-term member of the association. So he took his business hat and a soccer hat and together, Mike and Louise have put together a session that was really how to, not whether it's good or bad to do a merger acquisition or alliance, but how do you approach it? How do you think about it? What's the strategy behind it? How do you decide to go forward? How do you decide not to go forward? I actually think this may become one of the most important sessions of the entire convention for clubs. It can make or break your club. And we've had clubs who've walked away with terrible experiences, but equally we've had clubs that have had magnificent successes. What we really wanted to do was make each of these sessions as practical as possible. The entire overall program is really designed for both current and aspiring CEOs, executive directors, board members, administrators for clubs. To a lesser extent, DOCs, we do have a separate DOC track. Uh, There's a couple of sessions in there that we're going to actually tag for our club leaders track. And certainly all of these sessions are open to any attendee at the convention. They are not closed. And yet for folks who want to get the certification, they will have to attend at least a very specific number of them. So that's actually how we kick off. But from there, we've got two, we've got a session on what if parents are the key to your soccer club? And one of the things that we hear over and over again, if just if we could coach and run clubs only for orphans, wouldn't that be fantastic? We could finally get rid of parents forever. (laughs) And there's a gentleman named Chris Price, who's the president of a company called Live Sport and has had tremendous success with the NHL. They developed a set of core principles about the experience that they want to have every young hockey player and their family have. He's all about culture, and he's all about making parents your partners, not just your customers, not just your nemesis, but partners in the success of a club. And I think he will do an hour session that will be very unique and very informative and may make each of our clubs really look at that parent dynamic in a different way. And then we kind of went to lawyers, and Louise is actually coming back for a session and is being joined by their corporate lawyer, a gentleman named Steve Gans. And they're going to talk about how and when to use lawyers. We find that clubs, particularly smaller clubs, often are very resistant because lawyers are expensive. But the reality is, is they can save you sometimes a whole lot more money than they cost you. So what I asked of Louise and Steve was to really, you know, get down and dirty. When does a club need a lawyer and when can they do it themselves? Um, I think that's an important ruler for for clubs to have. So um, Steve actually is is fairly well known as an attorney in soccer. He's Louise's lawyer. So she pays him. So she knows what he makes and she knows when she wants to use him and when she doesn't. And I think together they'll be very good. But he's also in many other areas of soccer. He is actually a labor lawyer who has just worked on the USL Players Association and the new agreement they have with their league. So his experience is vast. His kids play soccer, so he has lots of club knowledge, and I think he will be very strong. The next one is, how do you make DEI part of your program today? I almost have come to hate the the, the initials DEI because it's so easy 
to drop them in and say, oh, well, we do DEI or you see it on people's websites. And what I want clubs to learn and understand is, is really what does it mean and how do you make it work for your club? And our presenter is Dr. Nefertiti Walker, and she is the Dean of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion for University of Massachusetts at Amherst. And she is also a member of our board. And I think she's gonna be just a fantastic presenter in this way. So I think that'll be really, really, really good. The next session is one I'm particularly excited about. It's called Data Magic, Finding the Numbers That Really Matter. Everybody talks about big data. Businesses talk about it, organizations talk about it. You know, we've got so many numbers. They come from our, our registration services. They come from your uniform company. They come from surveys. But what the heck do you do with all this data and how do you make it really useful? And the, the gentleman that's going to be presenting this session is a gentleman named Aaron Nagel. And Aaron is actually the executive director of the Colorado Rapids Youth Soccer Club. It is an 11,000 member club, one of the largest in the country. But his specialty, had, and it's been very successful, but he did a session I saw, oh, six or eight months ago on how they use data to accomplish that. And it was far more simple and far more intuitive than I would have ever imagined. And it was something, an approach that any club of any size could use. So I always kind of get scared off personally when people tell me, oh, just go into your data. And I don't know about other people, but that makes my eyes roll. And Aaron was so practical and so down to earth that I think his session is going to be really important. And frankly, I'm looking forward to it. I think I'll learn a lot. Our next one is called Human Resources 101. Your club is in the people business. There is almost no youth club in America who has a human resources professional on staff. And they're probably not going to be. And yet your liability with your employees or contract workers how you need to protect yourself, how you need to protect them, how you protect your club, how you make it work well for everybody is crucial. So what we have done is actually brought in a HR specialist attorney and an HR specialist executive. Jeff McClure and Jill Meshikow are both coming in from the West Coast to present this session. Both of them have specifically soccer, youth soccer background. Jill was actually the HR director for AYSO. Again, uh, just a large youth soccer organization, so has a great deal of knowledge and information. And Jeff, this is his legal specialty. So we've put them together, and I think they will really give folks a new sense of what you need to do to protect yourself, protect your employees, and protect your customers. Our next one is called How to Make Culture the Core of Your Club's Success. And it's being delivered by, not delivered, it's being presented by a gentleman named Jim Palia, who has a company called Brands That Stand. And his platform really is about how creating a club culture, everybody's going to win some games, everybody's going to lose some games, you can't always be the champion, you can't always be the best, but you can always create a powerful club culture. And in many ways, from a business perspective, from a growth perspective, having that club culture really serve you well is what will keep kids and families coming back year after year. 
after they forget about the wins and losses, after they forget about a lot of those other performance issues, it is, it is the culture of the club is Jim's premise that will really build your business. And we are not done with Lynn Burling Manuel, the CEO of United Soccer Coaches, breaking down this incredible certificate called the Club Leaders Professional Development, focused primarily on youth soccer, which is really the heart and soul of everything we are doing. When we return, we'll hear about the rest of this incredible series called the Club Leaders Professional Development Certificate. And we'll start with one spearheaded by one of our all-time favorites, Sue Ryan. Lynn Burling-Manuel kicking off our countdown to convention on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. We'll be back after this message. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the Countdown to Convention portion of this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap. We're with Lynn Burling-Manuel, the CEO of United Soccer Coaches, talking about this 11-track Club Leaders Professional Development Certificate. I think she was about seven of the 11 through. When we asked for a break, she was getting ready to talk about another track led by Sue Ryan, one of our all-time favorites at United Soccer Coaches. So with that, we'll turn it back to Lynn. Take it away, Lynn. Sue is a longtime member of the association. She was also, however, the head coach of Stony Brook University in New York for 32 years. But what her day job is, she's actually a professor of leadership, and she does it both for college, but she also does it in the business world. And the session she's presenting is how to be an effective club leader today. And quite frankly, leadership is a buzzword for everybody these days. But the reality is, is being an effective leader in an organization is crucial to your success. And from my perspective, there is no one better than Sue to really communicate what do kids, staff, parents, coaches, what do they need today in a leader? She'll be a very, very powerful presenter as well. And next, again, is one of my areas of, of greatest interest, which is a strategic planning. And the session is being presented by Warren Mercero, who has a company called Soccer Solutions. A very interesting thing about Warren's company is that his His business partner is Jurgen Klinsmann, who is someone you may know. Warren is doing a session which is Flourish with Smarter Strategic Planning. Uh, This is one of his specialties. He's done it for clubs, organizations, businesses. This is not to be missed. We're actually bringing Mike Curry back one more time also for a presentation with his colleague, Rob Smith. And it's really talking about club leaders as professionals because that's what I see as the future of soccer clubs. It used to be that the club executive director was a former coach, maybe a DOC who moved into the CEO role, but really didn't know a lot about running the business. Those days are gone. And I think what we're seeing today is a much more professionalized CEO executive director. And you do have to think about your career. And in this case, Mike and Rob are going to be addressing managing your club executive career as a business. 
it's thinking about how you really put your club leader career together. This is a very personal session. This is a session I think will be valuable regardless of whether you're brand new to this profession or you've been in it a long time. I think it will be a surprise to a lot of folks because it is just a little bit edgy for many. The notion that club folks are building a career is often a surprise. It shouldn't be. You are now running often multi-million dollar businesses. It is important that you look at your role as a club leader and being an executive as a personal business. It's a good way to think about it. So I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll be surprising. And last but not least, we are doing a session that I actually think is an extremely important session. We have it come up far more commonly than you might imagine. And the session is what happens to your dreamers now? If you have much in the way of a Hispanic or Latinx population in your community, there's every chance you have players, coaches, uh, perhaps even young parents who are in the DACA category, which is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals or DREAMers. These are the young people who came across the borders um, as children brought by their parents. They've been in this country for a very long time often, but are not necessarily legal citizens or legal immigrants, uh, refugees in this country. So what we are doing is bringing in an immigration lawyer who will talk about where is the DACA program today. It, it is often referred to as the DREAM Act or DREAMers. And it's an important thing we have found because for many clubs, they do have dreamers on their teams, in their, in their coaching their teams, or again, even parents at times. And I think this is an area that may not seem applicable to you or your club, but you might be surprised. There's legal issues for you potentially, but you can also be a tremendous resource to your kids and your families because this is a very important area for them. We wanted to make sure that a professional, her name is Maria Sea Orozco, who will be coming in and presenting. She's been an immigration attorney for 10 years in Minneapolis. She has moved into a nonprofit organization today, but she has been a very popular speaker at our convention for the last two or three years. And we thought this was a really important focus for our clubs as well. So that is our 11 sessions. We'll have, again, a few other sessions. And I'm going to pull a couple out of the DOC sessions. There's a couple on running clubs that I thought would be good as options for our um, club leader certificate program. You are also able to take any other sessions at the convention, obviously, and there will be other non-certificate folks in these sessions as well. So that's the lineup of our curriculum. The faculty I'm very excited about. I think they're very strong. And I think the overall program will be an important career and industry development opportunity for club leaders today and those emerging folks who want to be club leaders. It's called the Club Leaders Professional Development Certificate. Probably your only understatement, Lynn, is your statement on the faculty because the people that you have brought together here, Lynn, is typical Lynn Berlin manual people. These are, <laughs> a, I mean, seriously, these are, I mean, right? These are A-plus personnel bringing it home. You know, I think they're going to be really strong. What I was looking for were experts in their field, people who could bring something, a body of knowledge 
to club leaders that it's not so easy to get sometimes or not, or a different perspective, whatever your profession may be when you're in the day-to-day down and dirty, getting it done, it's hard to take a step back and really look at bigger issues, broader issues, new information. And I think it's one of the things that's always so powerful about the convention for, for everybody, for every single attendee, it lets you step back from your day-to-day and really sort of broaden your mind, be able to um, pick up new skills and areas of information for your job, and, and frankly, just make you better at what you do. And, and I think the leaders of clubs in this country are among the most important group for taking our sport forward in America at every level. So I'm really excited to be doing this. Amen. Phenomenal breakdown on the club leaders, professional development certificate. As we end last question here, Lynn, and I'm excited to ask it because, you know, the last several conventions, you've been the CEO and you're up at 5 a.m. and, you know, probably go to bed at midnight and then you do it all over again. This time you get to kind of spearhead this incredible track, the club leaders, professional development certificate, but you also get to enjoy it. You get to celebrate it. Just end with what that means to you. More than I can tell you, I have been to every convention of this organization for the last 42 years. And the convention has often, it's partially because of my career, but also on a personal basis. This has been, it's always such a fun, exciting, rejuvenating, you know, exhilarating event. Now that's certainly been true as CEO, except in one way. It is so much work when they pull that curtain back and you see what's going on underneath that a lot of the fun kind of gets sucked out of it. (laughs) So I'm really looking forward to having the fun back and having time for a drink with a friend, having time to sit in on a session. Last year's digital virtual convention was the first time I'd actually sat in on a session since I had become CEO. So I'm really looking forward to that. If you have not been to a convention before, you do not know what you are missing. And if you have been to a convention before, I encourage you to come to Kansas City because I think it's going to be one of our best. So I am really looking forward to it. And I plan to have just a really good time. And I hope to sit through every one of our sessions because I want to learn. And selfishly, I brought together people that I thought would be really, really interesting And I think they're going to be important. And as I look at my future, after I leave the association in that CEO role, this is knowledge that I want to have. So I'm really looking forward to it, Dean. Well, and I will tell you this, as we say goodbye, as you get ready to announce what you're doing next, I want you back on the podcast to tell everybody what you're up to, because people are going to be around you. They're going to want to work with you. They're going to want to grow with you and learn with you. Lynn Berlin Manuel, heading up the Club Leaders Professional Development Certificate, and she kicks off this week's show as part of our Countdown to Convention. Always a pleasure, Lynn. Thank you, Dean. Great to see you. Great to hear you, and great to talk to you. All right, Take care. What a great way to kick things off. Lynn Burling Manuel talking about her incredible certificate, the Club Leaders Professional Development Certificate that you can get involved with at the convention as part of our Countdown to Convention. Certainly our next guest could be on the Countdown to Convention. Why? Well, he's one of three people going into the Hall of Fame. We're talking about legendary head coach at Yavapai Junior College, Michael Pantaleone, who's going in with Robert Nye, as well as Jeff Tipping, 
Michael Pantaleone is also the author of a new book called Yavapai Means Winning Soccer, a great read indeed and a great visit with Michael Pantaleone, one of three going into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame this January. We visit with him after this message. That's this week's Countdown to Convention for the 2022 United Soccer Coaches Convention, January 19th through 23rd in Kansas City. Register today at unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit QuickGoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Staff. I want to thank Lynn Burling Manuel for kicking it off as part of our countdown to convention. As I said on the close, our next guest could also count toward the countdown to convention because he'll play a big role as he's going into the Hall of Fame. That's right. On October 14th, United Soccer Coaches announced the election of three individuals as the newest members of its Hall of Fame. All three will be inducted as members of the class of 2022 during the 82nd annual United Soccer Coaches Convention, January 19th through 23 in Kansas City, Missouri. Robert Nye, the longtime men's coach at the College of Worcester in Ohio, Michael Pantaleone, legendary junior college coach at Yavapai College in Arizona, and Jeff Tipping, former coach in Pennsylvania, will be honored at the annual awards banquet on January 21. Let me talk to you a little bit more about our guest, Michael Pantaleone. He becomes the first member of the Hall of Fame who coached primarily at a two-year institution during his career. The Philadelphia native retired in January from Yavapai College in Prescott, Arizona, where he started the Rough Rider soccer program in 1990. He was one of the most successful junior college coaches in history, compiling a 31 career record of, get this folks, 636, 63, and 30. That's 636 on the right side, barely any losses or ties, almost a 900 winning percentage. His winning percentage ranks in the top three amongst college coaches at any level. He also holds the distinction of being the only retired coach at any level to average more than 20 wins per season over his career. During his tenure, Yavapai captured seven National Junior College Athletic Association championships and 19 appearances in the Final Four. Pantaleone received 12 National Coach of the Year awards and was the West Region Coach of the Year 18 times, a member of United Soccer Coaches since 1978. He has been the recipient of its Letter of Commendation in 2014 and the prestigious Bill Jeffrey Award in 2015 for long-term service to intercollegiate soccer and the association. He was chair of the junior college rankings for 23 years and was the first active coach inducted into the NJCAA Soccer Hall of Fame in 2006. And coach, that'll do it. That'll wrap up our interview. Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's pretty impressive, my man. And now you're going into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. Let's start with that. As I see your jacket with all the stars representing all the titles you won at Yavapai, but Going into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame, can you put into words what that means? Well, I was speechless when originally informed of the honor, but once again, the back of my soccer card says 
no goals scored. So give all the credit to the players that I have been truly best to be associated with. It is truly a player sport. So I have to admit, as a longtime soccer broadcaster, I broke in in 1996. I have been with the Big Ten Network since day one, and that meant seeing Ohio State in 2007, and then a few years later seeing Michigan. So that meant I saw Roger Espinoza and I saw Justin Merrim. And that meant Yavapai just flowed off my lips like, you know, peanut butter and jelly. It was that magical. And that's because of you. Start with those two players because you talked about players, but those were two pretty special players. And you've had a lot of them, haven't you? Uh, we've been fortunate, to say the least, and Roger and Justin on top of that list. You know, you, we, we had Alan Gordon, who had a long career in, a, in Major League Soccer that played at Oregon State. But getting back to the Big Ten, they bring a smile to my face because first, in regards to Justin Merrim, really nobody recruited him out of high school. He was a skinny young man out of Michigan, and I was tipped off by an alumnus who informed me, hey, you got to check this guy out. And we did, and he led us to two national championships. In the case so Roger Esman knows uh, the funny story I enjoy telling is I guess he must have been hypnotized o over his two-year period at Yavapai College because obviously we truly stress the importance of academics and taking care of business in the classroom. And, and Roger called me up shortly before he was going to be drafted in the first round by Kansas City in the MLS draft to see if it was okay to forego his senior year at Ohio State University. He was concerned that his old coach may have a problem with that, but I informed Roger again, you're only young for so long, take advantage of the opportunity, but make sure it's in your contract. Somebody's paying for your education when your career is over. Well, that was super smart. And that came off of him actually scoring a goal in the national championship game. They came up short against Wake Forest, but he was such a key part of that Buckeye team. I got to believe if or when you run into John Bloom, somehow his name will get brought up again, right? Absolutely. And again, I go back to the players. We've had so many great players. And in fact, Roger Espinoza, one year at Yavapai College, played with Michael Randolph. And that name may sound familiar to some because he played two years at Yavapai before going right to the Los Angeles Galaxy. So can you imagine having those two left footers? on that particular side of the field at a junior college level. Oh, Roger Espinosa's left foot is a thing of beauty, and, and it still is. I mean, how about this guy who's still getting it done? I mean, to be able to play that long, he's Tom Brady-esque very much, isn't he, Coach? Somehow we've been blessed. Like I mentioned uh, previously, Alan Gordon, 14-year career in the MLS. And again, Roger just keeps on going. Of course, you know, he's had a World Cup experience. Also was on the field 90 minutes when they won the FA Cup against Manchester United back in England a few years ago. And of course, Justin Murrum, very similar in nature, having a very long career and mostly with the Columbus crew and a, a few other teams as well. And coach, to be fair, the way I understand it is you really did not think you were going to get Roger Espinoza to even come to Yavapai. Do I have that right? I met him and and his coach, and we talked a little bit. I said, hey, our door's always open. I know you're, in a sense, you're going to go big time. And so, you know, I just backed off. And then his senior year in high school, out of the blue in February, Roger was the last guy I was thinking of because I figured he was going big time. We get a phone call, and it was Roger. I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? You're, you want to go this way? And uh, the door was always open and, and he took advantage of it. And he was, it was just a pleasure to have. He worked so hard in his two years at Yavapai. You know, uh, I, I still can see him walking every day from the dorms to the library, you know, putting the time in so he can go to a place like Ohio State. 
And uh, it all worked out for him. I was so happy for him. We're so pleased to be joined with one of three incoming Hall of Famers. When you think about the other two gentlemen that you're going in with, how does that make you feel, Coach? Well, it's special. I, you know, I believe I'm the 73rd member of the Hall. And again, I'm a historian at, in nature. And, and there's some uh, great individuals of the past, you know, that's been inducted. And of course, the two, it's always an honor to, to join anyone in an achievement like this. What about your family? When your family found out that you were going in, I'm, you know, I'm sure it was positive. So this is an easy question, but just share with us their joy for you going into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. Well, unfortunately, my family tree is not as big as some. My mentor was Aldo Santaga, who was the uh, old coach at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. Now that's a family tree that is huge. But unfortunately, uh, I've had a, a lot of situations where people passed away. How about Yava Pai as an institution? Can you talk about where it's located and what makes it so special? It's located in Prescott, Arizona, and enough to be the very first coach uh, announced it actually in 1988. And would you believe the first recruiting class captured a national championship? So it's been storybook since uh, its beginning. And to maintain that level of success over a 30-year period, again, give all the credit to the players. It was a great place to work, a lot of fond memories, a lot of funny times. Of course, it also, also helps to win 78 conference, region, district, and national championships along the way. In addition to going to the Hall of Fame, I want to talk about this new book that you've written. It's titled Observations, Reflections, and History of the Yavapai College Men's Soccer Program. Yavapai means winning soccer, seven-time national champions, Coach Michael Pantaleon with Steve Stockmar. Yavapai means winning soccer. This book shares a common-sense approach on how to direct and maintain an ethical, successful, professionally-run program while incorporating the element of fun, observations, reflections, and history of the Yavapai College men's soccer program include a behind-the-scenes chronicle of championships starting when a young coach introduced the sport in the Mile High City of Prescott, Arizona. In the history of men's intercollegiate soccer, Michael Pantaleon has the distinction of being the only retired coach at any level to average more than 20 wins per season, as we already talked about, and compiled the highest all-time winning percentage with an overall record of 636, 63, and 30. I don't mind repeating that over and over again. Along with Steve Stockmar, they bring you the inner workings to the, quote, winning tradition, end quote, with more than 300 stories covering a comprehensive range of topics and without the word I appearing one time. This book is a valuable resource to any sports library. Coach, I've already said I about myself and I've done nothing. And here this book does not have the word I at all. That's what you're all about, isn't it? It's a team sport the last time I looked, Dean. So once again, give all the credit to the players. They're the ones who scored the goals. I'm just sitting there, you know, watching for two hours. And our philosophy was very simple. If I got to sit there for two hours and watch a stupid soccer game, it better be exciting. And we were. We scored a lot of goals, but at the same time, we're not stupid. And we're not going to uh, sacrifice the defense as well. But it was also important to bring more than close friends and relatives to the game. So we were very active in the community. And as a result, the community supported our team second to none at the junior college level. That's pretty incredible. What was the inspiration in writing this book? When did it come to your mind and when did you get it done? How long did it take? Actually, uh, 
it came to my mind just past April, wrote it in April and May, when you're passionate about something and truly invested in a program over the past 30 years, it, it was an easy, uh, easy effort. The stories are some of which are quite funny, some are informative, some are serious in nature, just observations and reflections over a 30-year period. Again, in order to be successful, you need to surround yourself with good people, not only on the field, but off the field. And it's all about relationships. The book's about some of the funny aspects in the recruiting process, team management, game management, travel management. But most importantly, it's about relationships, player to coach relationships with community, with the media, with alumni. It goes on and on, but again, it's pretty comprehensive. The book is not about how to kick a ball. It's about how to run an ethical, professional program, and we're happy to to offer this on Amazon right now. So you can find it on Amazon. You mentioned relationships. Clearly, Steve Stockmar is somebody you have a great relationship with. Who is he, and how long have you known him, and how did he collaborate with you? Well, he arrived in Prescott about the uh, seventh year of the program, and he was a sports editor for the local newspaper here in town and also became the city editor. Currently, he's in Phoenix in the same trade, but Steve covered a lot of our matches, and he was always there after the match interviewing our players and interviewing our the opposing coach, and every now and then would get a word in with me, but he was there firsthand. He witnessed uh, the glory days and also witnessed the times we uh, went down to the to uh, defeat as well. Now, Michael, as part of your book, on the back cover, you see you just sitting there in one lonely chair observing a soccer field. Can you walk me through that? Well, uh, the players know this, and it's mentioned briefly in the book, the position I took in that bench area. That's where I sit during the game. So I'm not in the middle of the, of the field. I sit on the end. Okay. And uh, there's number of reasons why I sit in that corner and what uh, you know the furthest to the right that's where I sit in that bench area because it allows me the opportunity to think clearly without all that nonsense taking place near the center line and I not only can think clearly I also can observe the bench better I can see who's slouching and uh, who's sitting upright who's cheering when we score a goal and who's not it provides a great angle plus I can kind of communicate more effectively to the players on the field without the other team hearing some of my instructions. So I kind of park it in that corner. I don't know how many other coaches do that. So so simply put, that picture is you, and you wanted that picture on the back of this book. Yeah, it was uh, by design, believe me, and uh, because it's an unusual placement. Most coaches are near the center line trying to be the show and everything. <laughs> and I just assume stay in that corner and take care of business and do my best Herb Brooks and exit left when the game is over. <laughs> We're here with Hall of Fame coach Michael Pantaleone. He will be in this newest Hall of Fame class for the United Soccer Coaches. He will be inducted as part of the awards banquet that I always have the pleasure of hosting with Dr. Ray Sieplake. And I know that, um, you know, you're fairly reserved, right? You don't seek the attention, but that'll be a special time. I feel like you've already thanked some people, but as you're sitting there now and you kind of try to sum up your career, who are some people that you definitely want to thank for all of your success? Because you've had a lot of success. And I know you're going to say players, but I didn't know if there's some other people that uh, are in there as well. 
go with the players all the way. You know, I had a longtime assistant coach, Hugh Bell. He was with me for 30 years. So it was pretty funny at times because, you know, guys are coming and going all the time. That's the beauty of a junior college. Uh, the players don't get tired of you and you don't get tired of them. Two years is just right. And when Hugh was on board, there's uh, many times we looked at each other. Is this an odd year or an even year? So we had odd year speeches and even year speeches. So uh, <laughs> We could recycle our speeches, get our message across to the players. And, and it was all about, you know, competing in a, in a professional, ethical way. And it's all about, you know, doing your best in the classroom, serving the community that you're representing. And we did our best getting that, that particular message across. So he was with me for the entire time, just about, you know, the first four years I was a Lone Ranger and, and then he came on board after that. So uh, we don't have an entourage or anything. I always have to laugh when people ask about, well, tell us about your staff. Well, it was a staff of one. And <laughs> So we kept matters fairly simple, as well as the roster. You know, our roster wasn't exactly 30, 40, 50 players. You know, we, we want players to play. It's, a you know, again, it's a two-year setting. So we don't need an entourage of players as well. I mean, uh, we're not in to win bench-clearing brawls. You know, we're in to help young men move on to four-year universities. Just a couple more questions with our Hall of Famer and our author, Michael Pantaleon, who has written this book, Yavapai Means Winning Soccer. You got to get this book. I need to get it because somehow in this book with 300 stories, they don't use the word I, and there's something to be said about that. I'm really, really impressed by that. But I do want to know, and you can do a longer version or you can do an elevator speech version. But before you ended up in Arizona, where are you from? What's your background, coach? I'm from Philadelphia. I actually started playing at a local grade school, just walking by the field and asking what was going on as a, as a youngster. And they said, well, if you want to play, stand between those two poles and make sure the ball doesn't go by you. So fortunately, we've had a lot of success in my playing days at the amateur level. I was smart enough to always have 10 players in front of me that could actually play. And <laughs> so that's how it all started. Eventually, uh, went to, uh, of all places, the University of Montana for education purposes. Uh, it didn't have an intercollegiate team. Uh, I had an option in going to play intercollegiate soccer at a number of places, but so choose the uh, academic route. But out of school, uh, it was pretty funny. One of the stories in the book talked about ballroom dancing. It was a requirement at the University of Montana at the time to take this particular course. And I threatened to leave the, the college and went to the department chair. I'm not taking this course. I'm headed home. He goes, no, we'll work something out. And a week later, we agreed on an independent study course on how to start youth soccer in the state of Montana. And would you believe three years later, that particular paper was implemented to the point where I was fortunate enough to surround myself with a number of volunteers. And we started youth soccer in the state of Montana in 1977. And just one opportunity led to another. I served uh, a three-month sentence at Kenyon College under Jeff Fennell. Worked there in the uh, women's program, implementing that. Uh, trying to get that started. And the goal of uh, on that particular venture was to recruit, retain as many young ladies as possible. And, and, and Jeff knows this story better than anyone else. If we started the season with 33 young ladies, we finished the season with 33 young ladies. Now you keep 33 ladies happy. <laughs> and in addition to that, I spent some time at Jesuit High School in Portland, Oregon, and then at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay, 
where we already had a, a strong men's program, but uh, also had the opportunity to start a women's program, coaching both teams under the direction of Aldo Santaga. And I knew something was wrong, though. Uh, I served a lot of time north of the 40th parallel with Green Bay being my last stop, north of that line. And uh, I knew something was wrong when all the campus buildings on Green Bay were connected underground. Mm -hmm. So I was determined to... Uh, ultimately moved to Arizona, where I was fortunate to get the position at Yavapai College. The funny thing, though, is I wrote to all the schools in the state of Arizona, and this was pre-internet era, so I received back a thanks but no thanks form letter from each school except for one, and that's where Mrs. Lynn Merida, athletic director at the time of Yavapai College, sent me a personal note and it allowed me a, an opportunity, you know, with that little door opening to to basically hound her every two months. Hey, when are you going to get this program started? I'm ready. And also provided me an opportunity to inform her of my uh, latest activities. So it was uh, it was storybook, like I mentioned previously, the first recruiting class winning a national title and to maintain that level of success over a 30 year period was quite simply a lot of hard work. That's awesome. I'm so glad you shared all of those stories. That was amazing. And I know he's a little bit older than you, but you know, I think of you as the godfather of junior college soccer. And of course, the godfather of college soccer is Jerry Yegley. He's from outside of Philadelphia. I think he's pretty close to from there. Did you ever know him in, in your younger years at all? Or did you guys ever make that connection? First time I had a the honor of speaking to Jerry Egley is when he was uh, looking for a goalkeeper. And that was in 1990. And somehow we were on the telephone lines together and I recommended him Andre Luciano. And he ended up playing two years for Jerry. And, and would you know, Andre Luciano is the same individual that replaced me at Yavapai College. So it's a small world after all. But I was familiar where Jerry attended uh, college, Westchester State University under Mel Lorber. Back. And I, you know, again, as a little kid, I'm running around Philadelphia following uh, soccer the best I can. One of my favorite individuals to come into town was Lincoln Phillips. He was a goalkeeper for both Baltimore Bays and the Washington Darts way back when. And, and I was just fascinated how Lincoln took command of the position and, and I always want to be just like him when I, when I took the position. And it's a small world. Lincoln was uh, in attendance for our first national championship. He was one of the few people in the stands watching this game that just seemed to go forever because it went into so many overtimes and and it was so many delays and with injuries and so forth. But, uh, you know, again, uh, just so many memories I, I share in this book. And there are some of the people that are mentioned in the book. I love those names. I've known Lincoln Phillips for a long time as well. That is fantastic. He's going in the Hall of Fame, Michael Pantaleon. And just as important, he has written this book, Yavapai Means Winning Soccer. This is the last question. You are going into the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. It used to be called NSCAA. When you think about United Soccer Coaches, parentheses, NSCAA, it means what to Michael Pantaleon? It means Don Yunker. Don Yunker was one of the uh, founding fathers of the National Soccer Coach Association of America. He lived uh, down the street from me in, in uh, the Philadelphia area. And 
And uh, Don invited me to his home when I was doing a welcome back Cotter at my old high school coaching there as a 21 year old. And Don uh, encouraged me to join uh, and become a member of the association. And I'm saying to myself at the time, wow, $25. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. And, and then I started thinking about it. You know what? I don't have much of a resume. I have some education. I don't have any experience hey, this is a way to add two more lines to the resume, professional organization, member of National Soccer Coaches <laughs> Association of America. Hey, that should impress somebody in trying to, in hopes of uh, obtaining a job. So that's how it all started. So when I think of the association, I think of people like Don Yunker that, that got me going way back when. Wow, he tells a great story. That means he probably writes a great book and certainly a deserved member of United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame. Coach Michael Pantaleone, he's going into the Hall of Fame for United Soccer Coaches, and he's got this book out on Amazon called Yavapai Means Winning Soccer. Michael, thanks for being with us. Congratulations on all your success. Congratulations on going into the Hall of Fame, and congratulations on this great book. It was a pleasure, my man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Wow, what a pleasure indeed spending time with Michael Pantaleone, one of the newest members of the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame and the author of Observations, Reflections, and History of the Yavapai College Men's Soccer Program. Yavapai means winning soccer. Speaking of winning soccer, the 30 under 30 class continues to roll on. We meet the second member of this newest 30 under 30 class. Alex Ng is an assistant coach for the Richmond women's soccer team. Alex Ng, when we return. Hello, college coaches. This is Dean Linky with a special reminder. Registration is now open for the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program. Registered programs have access to a variety of benefits, including eligibility for awards and rankings, individual membership discounts, a dedicated liaison working on your behalf with organizations like the NCAA, NAIA, NJCAA, and so much more. United Soccer Coaches helps you develop your entire coaching game the way you help your student athletes grow as people. For more information or to register, please visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. I want to thank Lynn Berlin Manuel for joining us in the Countdown to Convention, the CEO for United Soccer Coaches, spearheading the Club Leaders Professional Development Certificate that will be featured at the convention in Kansas City. That's why she was on the Countdown to Convention. We are also joined by one of the three members of the incoming United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame class, Michael Pantaleone, the legendary junior college coach at Yavapai College. He's also written a book called Yavapai Means Winning Soccer. And a future superstar who knows a lot about winning soccer, Alex Ng, another member of our 30 Under 30 class, joins us now. Alex, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Appreciate it, Dean. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, Alex, to be fair, you and I first met during your time at Indiana. Remind me when that time was, because I always enjoyed how nice you were to me, and I always enjoyed seeing you. Yeah, I believe it was my first game with Indiana when we were down at Carolina. That was the first game of fall of 19, our first year as a staff. Pretty sure I ran into you up around the press box with, with Megan Rapino running around somewhere for that uh, that preset uh, kind of out-of-conference tournament uh, down in uh, their stadium. So I think that was the first time we'd met in person, but I was connected with social media these days, you all see each other around, but yeah, I believe that was the first time. 
All right, awesome. And you're obviously at Richmond right now. Tell us when you got to Richmond, your title at Richmond, and how your season went. Yeah, so uh, I'm currently an assistant women's soccer coach at University of Richmond. I got here this past February, where I came straight from Indiana, like you said. I spent uh, basically the majority of COVID as the volunteer assistant at Indiana, which was very interesting and a lot of a lot of time on the field and able to coach. And I think that's the the positives that came out of that. But the year before that, for the majority of the 2019 season, I was a full-time video analyst for Irwin and the program at Indiana. So those two years at Indiana were incredible development experience for me. And then obviously the, the next progression in my career is to have that full-time assistant position. So got this job in February um, and have been here since then. And we just completed our fall season this past uh, Sunday. We made it to the first round of the A-10 tournament for the first time in seven years. We had our most... A-10 conference wins in 10 years, the most A-10 shutouts in 10 years. So we're definitely on a good path and I feel really good about where this program is headed. That is fantastic. Congrats on a great year. We're here with Alex Ng, a member of our 30 under 30 class. We're just getting started. We did Maya Hayes a couple of weeks ago. So Alex, you are the first man. Maya was the first woman. So I feel like we're off to an amazing <laughs> start right there. Pretty impressive class. Let's go back to the beginning though. Tell us about to where you were born, where you grew up, where you went to college, when you knew you wanted to be a coach. That's a loaded question, but the floor <laughs> is yours. No, I appreciate it. I think, uh, I think everyone says they have a pretty unique path, but I think mine is, is about as unique as they come with. So I grew up in South Florida, West Palm Beach. Uh, that's where my family still is, where I go home for the holidays. Grew up playing soccer, grew up playing volleyball, grew up playing football. And how it worked out is uh, in my junior year, I started playing football where I was a kicker and a punter. And how it worked out going to college was my, the better path for me was to go through football. So I ended up going to Valparaiso University in Northwest Indiana to play college football, uh, Division I college football in the Pioneer Football League. And obviously from a culture standpoint, going from <laughs> South Florida to Indiana was a big change for me. But I always knew as I was growing up and playing soccer that soccer was always my first love. And I coached rec teams when I was in high school, and that was always a big part of what I enjoyed doing. So my freshman preseason at Valpo, I reached out to John Maravich, the women's soccer coach there. I was like, hey, like, will you just let me come pick up cones, be around the program? Because I knew that coaching is what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure if it was at the youth level, college level, whatever it may be yet. But he said, absolutely. And he's been a, a mentor of mine and been very, very helpful for me and my development and my career. Still speak to him every couple of weeks. So basically for four years in college, I studied exercise science. That's what I got my degree in. Played Division One college football and worked as a student assistant, student manager, however you want to frame it for the women's soccer team there. So kind of going through that process, obviously very full fall semesters, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because I think to, to do so many pieces of what I enjoy doing and what I like and to continue my development was unbelievable. And then as we went through the summers, I worked a ton of camps. So I worked Michigan camp uh, back when Greg Ryan was there and with Tiff Hansen, who's a really good friend also. I worked in Michigan State camps and then worked Butler camps uh, with Terry and Rob. So for two summers, my between my sophomore, junior year, junior year, and senior year, I kind of decided that college coaching is what I wanted to do. So obviously reaching out to work those camps to start to network and still also develop my coaching abilities. Because like I heard Maya talk about last week, if you can teach a five-year-old kid how to play soccer, it's a lot easier <laughs> than trying to teach a college kid. So that piece was was a lot of fun. I got to travel to network with other coaches and after I graduated in December of 18, or yeah, December of 18, that is when Irwin got the Indiana job. And obviously I'd spent time with Terry and Rob at those camps and Terry and Rob are unbelievable people. They let me, I, I had never met them before 
uh, I worked their camps and they let me stay at their house down in Indianapolis to work their camps. Um, So obviously had a lot of conversations with them about my aspirations and what I'm looking to do. And uh, when Irwin got that job, they recommended me to Irwin to have a role on staff. So I met Irwin at convention that January, uh, went down for an interview the next week. And then Irwin offered me the job at the end of the interview to be a full-time video analyst on his first staff at Indiana. So that's kind of how the progression went and obviously keep working camps, doing my coaching education and all these pieces on top of still also doing my professional development within exercise science and strength and conditioning, because it's another piece that I'm really passionate about. I'm the chair of the NSCA, the National Strength and Conditioning Association's soccer special interest group. So that's working to bridge the gap between traditional strength and conditioning coaches and soccer coaches, because I think soccer is just such a unique sport in terms of the physical demands. So that's another avenue that I still work in and and really try to, what I also enjoy doing, but also I'm passionate about growing within our game. You're right. It is a unique story. I want to focus <laughs> on football a little bit. So what position in football did you play in college? So I was a punter. I was a, a four-year letter winner for, for Valpo for to punt. And I also held on field goals and I kicked off every now and then. Nice. And what was your career high biggest punt in your college days? Do you know? I do. It was a 69-yarder against Drake in my sophomore year. <laughs> good bounce like what happened what do you remember about that punt? oh yeah it was a very very generous bounce that's what it is. <laughs> that's, all, that's always the biggest punt is when you get a good hit on it or sometimes it's even a bad hit um, yeah. you get a very very generous bounce those are always your career longs how good were you at pinning teams in were you pretty good at angling the ball inside the 10 yeah I think that was definitely my strength I definitely never had the the biggest leg but from a technical and and from a technique standpoint that was always my strength of getting the ball to bounce where I wanted to bounce One last football question. So punters and kickers, you know, uh, announcers often even make fun of them, right? Because they kind of are in the corner, that type of thing. What was it like? Did the the big guys ever bring you in and let you hang with them or were you on your island? (laughs) I like to think I had a good relationship with with all my teammates, but it's definitely a unique position where you have maybe six, eight plays a game and the rest of the time you're kind (laughs) of standing there. So the, the winter games in Northwest Indiana, was definitely a, a challenge to stay warm to be able to go do something explosive after staying there for an hour. But no, I, I definitely enjoyed it. And it's definitely such a unique position. And someone like uh, in your realm, Pat McAfee, who's in the in the media realm now to bring more light to it and just bring more education on the intricacies of that position. And those positions is, uh, is really fun. And I still follow some of the guys that I played with, played against that are in the league and things like that. So it's definitely a, a definitely a fun experience. Last football question that I think a lot of people wonder about punters and kickers. Do you have to do like all the fitness tests and weightlifting and all that other stuff? Or are you excused from all that good stuff? I definitely did everything that the team did. I think every program and every person is a little bit unique, but me and the people that I was with in my position group, I wanted to make sure that we did everything that the team did so that there is no, oh, he doesn't go lift or, oh, he doesn't do what we do. We'd even get into tackling drills, ball security drills in preseason and things like that. So we were definitely uh, trying to be as big of a part of a team as we could. I'm assuming, so at your college, there was no men's soccer team or was there both? We did have men's soccer in the year after I graduated is when that was, uh, when that was dissolved at Valpo. Um, okay. So we did have a men's soccer team with Mike Avery as the, as the head coach there for my four years. Okay, got it. But you clearly reached out to the women's coach. What was it about the women's game all along, Alex Ng, that made you say, hey, this is where I want to put my attention, my focus, my drive? Yeah, there's a couple of things about it. I think the first one is I had met some women's soccer players because obviously they report for preseason in the same 
time as football does, where men's soccer reports about a week later. So I was just so eager to to get in with uh, with a soccer program that um, I met a couple of women's soccer players, asked them about how their coach was, and they said that they really enjoyed him and he was super approachable. So that's kind of where that initially started. And then as we've gone along, it's just been that's where all my experience has been, whether it's the camps that I've worked and the internships that I've had and the relationships I've built has just been in the women's side. But I think there's definitely something very unique and different about mostly the social pieces between the two. I think with every every guy in the country wants to go play pro and thinks he can go play pro. But with uh, with some of the females, I think it's you have to convince them they're good and convince them they're good enough. And I think that's something that's pretty fulfilling to where you can believe in them. And then they there's so much in in the world today, we know all the issues with coaches and the relationships they have with their players, good, bad, and indifferent. And I think the ability to connect with with some of these players and the understanding why they're doing this and where they come from and convince them that playing professionally is an option now and it's going to become more of an option down the road. And I think that from a cultural shift of youth, female soccer players and college women soccer players, where I think if you ask most of them, they're like, oh, yeah, I'd like to play pro if it's an option because they don't know. So I think for for me as a coach, like I want to develop these people and players to go have the highest aspirations they can. And I think that's the difference where between the men and the women, where you, you have to kind of convince them that they're they're good and they can be what they can be. We're visiting with 30 under 30 member, the newest class announced not that long ago. It's our second of 30 planned interviews as uh, we'll do them all year long. It's Alex Ng, who's the assistant coach for the Richmond Spiders women's soccer team, D1 women's soccer, coming off a fantastic season. I got to admit, Alex, I think you're younger than I realized because I feel like during my time with the Big Ten Network calling Indiana women and even Indiana men, I feel like you were paying attention to Indiana men. I may have that wrong, but I feel like you always kind of were keeping an eye on social media around Indiana men. You were kind of all in with Indiana, weren't you? For sure. I think uh, we had a really good relationship with the men's staff there with Todd, Danny, Roby. And then I actually, for my last two months there from January and February, I lived with Paulo and CeeLo, the volunteer and director of ops there. So we were definitely a really tight-knit community. And definitely supported each other, picked their brains, because obviously they're incredibly one of the most successful programs in the history of college soccer, men and women. So to have that in the same building as us was an unbelievable resource to see how they go about things. And uh, we were definitely one of their biggest supporters and they were they were our biggest supporters. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm currently 24 years old. Oh my goodness. Good for you. <laughs> and I love that drive because, you know, there's a lot of talk about the current 24-year-old. We don't need to dive too d- deep into it, but Thankfully, I also have a 24-year-old son who's got a big drive, and I like to think that I'm somebody that's always worked hard my entire life, and I never take anything for granted. You clearly have that drive, don't you, Alex? You're a worker. You like to work, right? Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy doing is that I love what I do in terms of the sports performance, the video, the soccer pieces. Is It doesn't really feel like work because I just want to do everything we can to make our girls better, our program better, and it never really it never comes and feels like work, especially when you have other pieces like football where I can take my mind off of it. And it's not a work-life balance or, oh, like I need a week off to do anything. Like I can, I feel like I have the, the capacity to do these things. And when you love what you do, it never really feels like work. 
And when you're hanging around cool people, like you just mentioned, Todd Yeagley and Kevin Robeson and Daniel O'Rourke and Erwin Van Benekom, and now your staff at Richmond, and then, and then of course, Terry, who I just had on the program talking about her work with top soccer. She totally blew my mind. Tiffany Hansen, I love her at Michigan. I got a Michigan women's conference call coming up. It'll be with Jen, but I'm sure, you know, Miss Hansen will be in the background as well. You know, when you're working around great people, it makes everything greater, does it not? Yeah, for sure. I think that's the the biggest piece from a development standpoint, from a networking standpoint. I think I've I've been able to have the privilege to to have a lot of conversations with some really really great people and a lot of really great soccer minds. That I feel like that's definitely progressed how I think about things and how I go about my business. And that's obviously the the tier that I want to get to. I want to be in at the highest level that I can be. So to to be able to pick the brains of people that are doing it at that level, I think is. Um, has definitely helped shape my work ethic and the detail and attention to detail and the work that I do. Pretty amazing. Who was your inspiration? What was your inspiration? How did you make your inspiration come true in applying for 30 under 30? I've applied for the the past couple of years just because that was always something that Coach Maravich at Valpo and everyone's always, oh, you need to apply for this, you need to apply for this. And um, even here with Marty and Kelly, who are also unbelievable at what they do. I've never had one single thing that's inspired me. But obviously, my family and how hard they worked to allow me to do what I was able to do with playing soccer growing up, football. And I think that I've always had a passion for for my family and making sure that that they're proud of the work that I do. Because I think my mom was very much the typical tiger mom of making sure everything I do is to the best that I can. So to make sure that the work that I do every single day lives up to her standards. But I don't think there's one inspiration. You talk about John Maravich of Valpo, Irwin. Marty here. I think I've been under some really, really great leaders that I take a little bit from all of them. And I think the the best of all of them, I like to think that that's what I try to take and has helped shape me as a coach. So I don't know if there's one single thing, but I like to take the strengths from everyone that I've met and everyone that I've worked for and worked with. Do you remember when you got the word that you were part of the 30 under 30? Where were you? Did you get an email? Did you get a phone call? What happened there, Alex? It was pretty anticlimactic. I was sitting right here in my office and I got an email with uh and it was like at 5, 6 p.m. at night. So Marty and Kelly were already home. So I was I was literally sitting in my office by myself. So <laughs> shot, <laughs> shot Marty and Kelly a text and they were super excited and proud. Um, but yeah, it was, it's not that exciting of a story. <laughs> Have you been given a mentor yet or are they still working on that? Because every 30 under 30 gets a specific mentor. Yeah, I have not received that yet, but we filled out the whole application of uh, what you would like to receive from your mentor, what type of mentor you would have. And and it's the same stories. Like I'd like someone at the, at the top of women's soccer to where I can pick their brain because I want someone that matches the aspirations that I have and has done what I want to do. Because I think mm-hmm. those are the people that you want advice from. So yeah, that was my very appreciative request. <laughs> that, that leads me right to the question you've heard me ask other 30 under 30 members, and that is that crystal ball question. Where does Alex Ng want to be in 10 years from now? I think there's, there's a lot of things that I want to do. I think the primary one is I want to be a head coach at the college level. I think ideally the power five level, but I think it's definitely more of the fit of the university and the program. And But I've also would love to work at the professional level. I have a couple of friends, Serge, who was at Indiana with me as my goalkeeping coach is at Racing Louisville now. And so I get to hear about him and his excitement and, and the things that he's able to do. And then I also traveled as a video analyst with the under 14s in Chula Vista right before COVID, like literally February before COVID. So I'd love to get in with the youth national team and be able to do scout work, coaching work, whatever that may be. So I think there's there's a lot of different avenues that I'd like to get to. But I think for right now, I'm just focused on making sure we're getting Richmond to back to winning championships and then whatever happens after that kind of happens. 
Good attitude. I love your attitude. I always have. This is really an honor, actually, to have you on. When I saw your name on the list, like Maya Hayes, I actually, I, I have to admit, and I'm sorry to all remaining 28 members, uh, you know, I knew I had my eye on getting you two first. And I think you probably knew I did as well, just based on the fact that, uh, you know, we've always kind of had this from distance, but uh, we always respected each other's work. And, and I like that about you. I want to switch sure. gears a little bit to another important topic. As you know, I give a, a huge platform to all the advocacy groups. You told me uh, yesterday when we set this up that you're Chinese American, but you've grown up in the United States. I think you even said your mom and dad both grew up here as well. So you're really American American. But, you know, of course, uh, you know, we have the Asian American. What's the full name of that advocacy group that uh, you're, you're part of? Yeah, so it's the Asian American and Pacific Islander Advocacy Group, AAPI. And that's led by Ashu, who has been unbelievable in kind of galvanizing our community and yeah, the goal is to basically support, mentor, and develop coaches and administrators within soccer of AAPI heritage. And then, like you said, to be completely honest, I don't have too large of a connection to my heritage and the, the people that have come before me. But uh, when I got the jobs at Indiana and got the job at Richmond, I've had multiple Asian American coaches reach out and talk about how proud they are and how excited they are to see someone of Asian American heritage in the positions that I'm in. And that was probably a wake-up call for me to be like, it, it does matter, even if I don't have a, a large connection to you, just because of the way I look and my last name, obviously being very, very, uh, very Asian. And so, yeah, like I personally don't have too large of a connection. And uh, I only met one of my grandparents in the time that I grew up. And But I, I have come to realize that it is important to other people. And if it's important to other people, it has to be important to me. So for me to give everything that I can to the community that I am inherently a part of, I think has been definitely eye-opening for me just yeah. because throughout it, it's been, uh, I've always felt American. I've always felt like, um, and obviously like I, Chinese was my first language growing up and all those pieces of, uh, with my grandparents and my family, but I've never felt that it, I've been, oh, I'm an Asian American coach or I'm an Asian American person. It's just, I'm Alex Ng, but obviously from a perceptual standpoint, it, it's always going to be a part of me and who I am. So for me to be able to be a part of that advocacy group and give back to the community and give back to other coaches that are trying to get to where I'm at, which still doesn't feel real to me because like you said, 24 years old and I haven't really done anything yet, but there's people that have reached out that have said how much they appreciate seeing people that look like me in positions that I'm in. So that's definitely something that uh, I'm very passionate about and want to make sure I'm, I'm giving back to. So glad to hear you're working with a shoe and want to remind everybody that it's Alex Ng spelled N-G. And so that's one of those where you have to double check. Now, how do you pronounce that? And is there a different yeah. way to pronounce it in Chinese or is it still Ng or do you say it differently? I've always said it Ng. I'm sure there are many different variations, different, different dialects with Cantonese, Mandarin, Shanghainese and different pieces of it. But we've always called it Ng. All right, perfect. Well, let's end with memories and mentors. You've done an amazing job dropping a ton of names. So you're already kind of on point on there and you extended it to, you know, spending time in Butler and some of these other places doing these camps and that grind that, you know, allows you at 24 years old to be an assistant coach at, at Richmond is worth every second of it, I know. But, you know, your greatest memories in the game and your greatest mentors in the game, Alex. From a mentor standpoint, I think Marty here at Richmond has been unbelievable in giving me the responsibilities and allowing me to do the work that I enjoy doing and really forming how we go about our business. Um, and obviously, Irwin, from a soccer standpoint, was probably the best two years of, of soccer education I could have got from 
a critical thinking aspect, from a tactical aspect, from an attention to detail within soccer. And then obviously my first boss, John Maravich at Valpo, where he kind of gave me my first taste of what college soccer is and how to do things. And and now that I've been through a couple programs, I think he does things to a very, very high level where there are a lot of places that don't do it to his level. Sorry, what was the second part of that question? Greatest Mentors memory, and greatest memory as, a, memories. as a soccer coach. Yeah, I mean, you're only greatest 24. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not, there's not, uh, not too many to pick from, but uh, I think qualifying for the A-10 tournament this fall was definitely our goal from the beginning and something that we haven't done in a long time was a, a very, very special feeling to get five wins in the A-10, which like I said, haven't hasn't happened in a really long time. I think back to some of our wins in 2019 with Irwin, where we were in a similar pace where Indiana women's soccer hadn't been successful for the years prior and to have a season that we had to qualify for the Big Ten tournament for the first time in I think a similar amount of time. I don't remember the exact amount of years. And it's funny because we we had a couple of very good results, a couple of not as great results, but I think that same thing of qualifying for the Big Ten tournament with the results that we got with the team that we had um, and just the amount of work that we put in that fall and that summer with Irwin and that staff to get the team to a place to compete um, where it was still very early in Irwin's tenure. So that was definitely those those two moments because not a single win or a single thing because it was the culmination of a conference season. So definitely qualifying for that Big Ten tournament and qualifying for the A-10 tournament here are two special things because I know that it was special to that program in that moment because it hadn't happened in in many years. So. Well, you use that word special. We'll close with this. I feel like I can say from my heart, you're a special young man. Your story is amazing. I had no idea you were that young because I feel like I've known you for 10 years because you've just had your hand and your foot and your heart and everything into this game. As we all know that right now, people aren't going to work and that type of thing. And here you are going to work and you're doubling down. I mean, can you give some words of inspiration to some of those youngsters out there on kind of what it takes to get through the grind to, to keep on moving. And that's how we'll end it. Uh, Alex, a little bit of word of inspiration for our younger coaches out there. Yeah. Like I said, like, I still feel like I'm one of those that need some words of advice, but uh, like I said earlier, I think if, if you're doing what you love, I think it never really feels like work. So if it does feel like a grind or it feels like something that um, you'd rather be doing something else then you probably should. So I think that's something that I've come to realize that like, there's really not that many lazy people. It's just people that don't want to do what they want to be doing. So I think if you find what you're passionate about as a person, as a human, I think it never really feels like work because I come in every day loving what I do and just excited about doing the work that I get to do every day. You can hear it in your voice. You can see it in your face. Of course, people on this podcast won't be able to see it on his face, but I can see it. So I'm just telling you right now, yeah, I'll tell you what, whatever he's saying, he is believing it. And this has been an honor. Alex, congrats on being a member of the 30 under 30 class. I hope to see you in Kansas City at the convention. And congrats on all the success you've had, young man. I'm really proud of you. Dean, I really appreciate it. Thank you for all you do for our game as well. Ah, you've heard me say it before. I love talking to these 30 under 30 members. What a great program that continues to roll on. So many success stories. Speaking of success stories, I want to thank our other guest, Lynn Berlin Manuel, the CEO of United Soccer Coaches, joining us on the Countdown to Convention to break down the club leaders' professional development certificate. We also met one of the three members going into the incoming class for the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame, Michael Pantaleone, the legendary junior college coach at Yavapai College, who has also written a great book called Yavapai Means Winning Soccer. And of course, you just heard 
from Alex Ng. I want to thank all the great people at United Soccer Coaches, especially Erica Dyer. Special shout out for getting us Coach Pantaleon to Steve Veal and John Mayer, Sean Chevro, Bailey Conklin, Jeff Van Dusen, the entire gang, my producer Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke saying we'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.